Father God, we thank you for today. We just thank you for uh, the ability to come into your house and worship you and open your word. Lord, this day just, this can be sad for some, rejoice for others, heavy for some, glad for others. Lord, we just ask that your word today speaks to us, uh, reminds us that you are our good father. Let your word speak, let it change hearts, let it remind us of who you are to spur us on. Thank you for who you are, what you've done, what you continue to do in your name. Amen. So like I said, our verse today will be in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Um, and I think you'll see why here in a moment. Uh, but we're going to unpack that a little bit other, rather than just staying in one spot. Because there's a lot of uh, substance to this far deeper than it appears on the surface. But here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Some of your translations may word that differently, but the meaning comes out to the same. See, here in Ephesians chapter 6, before we get up to this point, Paul said a lot. And I think if we just to read that verse, we can probably look at that verse and understand the gist of what he's saying. But we'll kind of miss the impact if we don't understand the context of where it comes in in the book. See, in the letter to the Ephesians, if you were to read through it, you are going to notice a distinct break between chapters 3 and 4 because chapters 1 through 3, he really unpacks some rich doctrine uh, through chapters 1 and 3. And then it breaks there between chapters 3 and 4. And he starts in 4 through 6 from some real practical application of what he's talked about. In chapters 1 through 3, he talks about having grace through faith. He speaks about being one in Christ. He even talks about the gospel being revealed to all, not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles. And then there's this distinct break there in 4 where he starts talking about the unity of the church. He starts talking about the new life we have in Jesus because of what uh, he's unpacked in 1 through 3. And then he dives even deeper into chapters 5 and 6 about even more practical application of how that understanding of what God has done for us is lived out. In fact, chapter 5, probably everyone in here has heard because it's used often at weddings where Paul really unpacks and sets up this imagery of the husband and wife living out the interactions of Christ and his church in the world as a visual representation of of what that interaction between Christ and His church looks like. So when he gets to diving even deeper now here in chapter 6, it has to be understood within the context that he's explaining how we as Christian fathers now live out the doctrinal application of our understanding of who God is. So when he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. He's speaking specifically to fathers to understand their father being God. He says, do not provoke your children to anger. Provoke here, if you were to look up the Greek, which I did, and it took me a minute because I'm not super intelligent. But when you look up the Greek here, provoke your children to anger is one word. It is a word that is all, I thought it would be two, it's one, and it's encompassing of a deliberate provoking to anger. It is, a, it is a purposeful intent not to consider the feelings of the other person, so much so as just to be unfair. It's unfair in treatment, maybe an unexplained punishment, maybe an unreasonable expectation. It's something that pushes someone 
to a point of real wrath and anger deliberately. In Paul's day, women and children, the wives and the children, probably would not have much of a standing in the household. And Paul is reminding these Christian fathers that they are to actually look at their children and treat their children as God treats them. He moves on and he says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Some of your versions, maybe the King James will say nurture and admonition. But this discipline and this instruction points to a disciplinary correction or repointing toward correct thinking. And he's asking these Christian fathers to bring their children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Meaning that all the things they do, every part of their being, everything they teach their children, everything they point to is God and God's word. He is not asking them to bring their children up in the idea of, well, this is what I believe. This is how you should go. This is, this is my feeling on it. This is how I was brought up. He says, bring them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. Always pointing to the word. Now, obviously, there's lots of applications to this. But the first one that is so obvious is this. Fathers, to do this, what must we first do? We must first be in the word ourselves. We cannot discipline and instruct if we ourselves are not in the Word being disciplined and instructed by our Father. If we do not know the Word, we're just going to be shooting in the dark, giving arbitrary instruction with no backing. And when it comes up and it fails, where will we point to? Where will we say this was solid if you are not in the Word, fathers? I would spur you on and encourage you to do so. Your conversations will be backed with the Word of God, not by your own opinions. The conversations you have and the pointing you will do will be backed by the Word of God, not you. Great examples of this can be found throughout Scripture, specifically, and you can turn if you'd like, but we're going to be in a couple places. One of them is going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Here in Deuteronomy chapter, I'm sorry, chapter, yeah, chapter 6, starting at verse 4. Uh, What we see here is is Moses is instructing the people of Israel and they're saying, when you get to this new land, I need you to do certain things so that you do not forget about what God has done for you. These things are specifically put in place so you can remind yourself. So if you were to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 4 and it says this. "Hear, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you will talk with them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Here in Deuteronomy, it's obvious that his hope for his people is that no matter what they're doing, their lives are permeated by the reminder of who God is and what God's done. So that anything they do, they're in constant teaching mode, constant mode of saying, children, this is what God has done. This is why we worship him. In fact, further down, if you were to look, we're not going to read it, but in verse 20, he says that when your sons, in fact, ask you why we do these things, Tell them about how you were freed from Egypt. Tell them about what God has done for you so that your children know why you worship this God. Now, some of you may say, well, that's great. That doesn't really apply to me because my kids aren't at home anymore. 
What do I do then? Do I just write them all over the post for myself? No, I would say Job, if you were to turn to Job, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, Job gives us this great example of a father that no longer has children in his home. In fact, I think many of you probably already know this verse, but we're going to read it anyhow. In Job chapter 1, starting at verse 4, it says this. His sons used to go and hold feasts in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job did this continually. We see an excellent example here of, of a man that no longer has his children at home, but he's still a father and he still understands that he has a duty as a father. He can still teach them verbally, yes, but they are out and doing things and he fears that they possibly may sin while they're doing those things. But he knows he has one advocate that he can appeal to, one person that he can intercess to, and that is God. So he says, I might not be able to influence my children much anymore. My children may be gone. My children may even be sinning when they're gone from my house. But there is one thing that Job does rely on, that Job does do, and that is daily he prays to God. He intercesses for his family, though his family is no longer in his home. So fathers, I would, I would say, though I still have my kids at home, your job is not done just because they're gone. Your job continues on despite them not being there. I would urge you, spur you on, in fact, to, to practice what Job practices of intercessing for your children, despite if they listen to you or not, rather they are close to God or not. Job understands one thing. His kids may be gone, but they can't go away from God. And he prays for them and he intercesses for them. Again, some of you may go, that's great. I don't have kids at all. What do I do? I think in Titus, we have this very clear picture Paul is writing to Titus. It's one of the pastoral epistles. Uh, and he's writing to Titus to instruct him on how the body should operate. How should the body can, uh, you know, do every day-to-day sort of things to glorify God. And Titus gets this letter from Paul. And we see in Titus chapter 2, Paul gives Titus some things that he needs to teach. He needs to instruct the church to do in order to make sure that the world outside understands that the Christian family, the Christian body operates in a different fashion and form because of Jesus. We see here in chapter 2, verse 2, it starts and it says this. Older men are to be sober-minded, diligent, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so to train up the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Slow, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that the opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Paul instructs the church as a body 
But they are as older men to live as an example for the younger men so that the younger men have someone to look to. Someone to say, how do I do this thing called life? Because the, the truth being, and even in Paul's day here when he writes it to Titus, some of those men, some of those young men do not have good role models and they need good role models. And what we see here is Paul says, Titus, teach these men to live in such a way that others can look and say, I want to do it that way. I want to live that way. What do you do? What has so changed you that you are different than every other man I know? And Paul tells Titus, teach them this so that others can look to them and live according to this changed life that they have. What we see here is wonderful examples throughout scriptures of not only uh, what we see as fathers should do, but also what we see as the church coming alongside should do as well. The truth being, and like I said before, as I was talking with others about this sermon this morning, the truth is sometimes, unfortunately, we just don't have good dads. I'm not a perfect father. I don't think any of you are perfect fathers. And I think if you say that you are, you need a head check. Because there's always something that we've done that's not right. I don't know if I'm the only one, but there's days where I'm driving to work going, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I shouldn't have yelled. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. I don't know if I did that right. Hopefully I don't grow up to be serial killers. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. The point is, though, as a father, you know... No matter how much you do, it may not be enough. And the truth is, it may not be enough. You're not perfect, but there is one that is perfect. Though we may not be a perfect father, we have a perfect example. Through Jesus Christ and the adoption that we have. If you will turn with me, I know you didn't have to turn with the other ones, but please turn with me to Romans 8. Did I leave my water down there? I'm dying. Romans 8, we have Paul here. Obviously, Romans is packed full of wonderful, wonderful theology. But here we see he's talking specifically about our adoption as sons and daughters when we believe in Jesus into the family of God. Romans 8, we're going to start in verse 12. It says this. So then, brothers... We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit bears, him, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. What we have is this example here that, of an adoption into the family of God. This understanding that we are far off from our Father, but because of Jesus we are then brought near. And though we may not have perfect examples of fathers on this earth, and no matter how much we try to be that, we cannot get to that point because we are human. We get this perfect example of what our father does look like. Throughout scripture, we have this picture of how how God is, though chastising at times, is always chastising to bring them closer. And then this ultimate bringing closer is when Jesus comes and dies in our place for our sins and raises in defeat of sin and death. And here Paul says the consequences of that is now 
regardless of what kind of family you have, regardless of what kind of father you have and or are, you can be brought near. You are adopted as sons and daughters of God. And now your heart doesn't say, well, I don't know if I can approach my father. Instead, he says, your spirit says, daddy, father, that you can now approach this father that has done much for you, that has shown much love for you. Much more than we ever could ask for or deserve. Fathers, we're not going to be perfect. But there are certain things we are called to do. In Ephesians 6 verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, we are to lead our families. That's a biblical mandate. Fathers, you are to teach your children. That is not optional. Fathers, you are to point to Jesus in not only word, but also deed. And the only way a father is going to be able to do these things, even close to correctly, is to understand who your father is. And the only way you're going to understand who your father is is to get in the word. You're not going to understand how God operates, what God does, what God has done, and what he is going to do if you are not yourself in the word. You cannot discipline and instruct your children if you're not in the Word. You won't be able to understand that God can do immensely more than you could ever hope for through prayer if you're not in the Word. You're not going to be perfect. I don't think you're called to be the perfect dad. You're called to point to the perfect dad. My hope for you to be this morning, even though this uh, day can be difficult for some, for some it's, it's just another day where you get to spend with your dad or It's another day that you remember that your dad's not here anymore. My hope would be this for you. That as fathers in here specifically, that you would discipline and instruct your children in the way of the Lord. That when you die, they can say, I know one thing about my dad. My dad always pointed to Jesus. My dad always pointed to Jesus. He always pointed to him. Everything he had, he gave glory to him for. Everything he taught us, he pointed back to the Bible for. Everything that was his life was Jesus. That's my hope. I really don't want much of a legacy other than Jesus. And for the church congregation in general, I think we see this wonderful picture in Titus. Of a a body of believers coming together pouring into the next generation, even though you may not have kids or anything like that, and saying, this is the way to the Lord. We have this wonderful picture of what it is to be a father. Fathers, let us follow after that, but not just in some willy-nilly way going, well, Jesus is good, but in the Word, always pointing to it. Because I can assure you, and as many of you that have children out of the home already know, when you have those conversations, you're going to need to point to the Word. When you have those difficult times, you're going to need to point to the Word. When you have those conversations that are at odds with the world, you can't say, well, this is just my opinion. You're going to have to say, this is God's opinion. My hope would be in my prayer that I'll pray in a minute is for strength for you as fathers and strength for us as a congregation to come alongside and point children that direction. Thank you for this opportunity to speak this morning.